Before we begin to walk through the word together, let me go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much today uh, for your goodness, for your love. And God, we, we do receive your reign this morning. God, when we ask the Lord Jesus into our heart to save us, we receive the Holy Spirit. But God, we can cut the power of the Holy Spirit off by the way we live, by the way we think, by the way that we act. Or Lord, we can open our hearts and open our minds and our thoughts to receive more and more of the power and the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And God, that's our, that's our goal this morning. We want to open ourselves to, to your leadership, your guidance in our lives that will be more conformed to your image. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, that's our goal for this morning. And as we do that, we're going to be looking, continuing to look through the book of Judges. And uh, we're just going to dive straight into this. We're going to start reading in Judges chapter 6 and verse 1. Judges 6 verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Now, this is the pattern that we see throughout the book of Judges. Uh, God's people over and over again, do wrong before the Lord. No matter what God has done, they turn around and they ignore the Lord. They turn their back on the God who has done so many things for them. And it's a pattern that we've already seen. As soon as Joshua died, God's people turned their back on him. We, we read a call to worship this morning from that Deborah and Barak, as God used them to lead his people to another victory in a season of peace. As soon as they passed off the scene, what happens? God's people began to live wrongly before him again. And so God lets them be delivered into the hand of Midian for seven years and jump down now to verse six. So Israel was greatly impoverished because the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. They've had seven hard years, and so they cry out, Lord, help us. Well, of course they're crying out, Lord, help us. It's been seven really, really hard years. Now, when I was reading this, um, I was reminded of a situation, an event that happened in my life, and I was probably in my early 20s. And uh, my guess is that some of you have had this happen to you before as well. Uh, I had a friend that I had been friends with for years. I mean years and years and years. And he called me one day and he said, hey, Mark, he said, um, uh, I need some help. Can you do X, Y, Z for me? And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. I can do that. And when I hung up the phone, I started getting mad. Now, why do you think that I started getting mad at my friend who asked me for my help? Here's why. Because I started thinking about when do I hear from my friend? I hear from my friend when I need, when he needs help. The only time that he ever called me was when he needed something from me. And the more I thought about it, the more ticked off I got. Like, you sorry, good-for-nothing friend. You ain't no friend. You don't call me except when you need something from me. You're a lousy friend. And it was like God said, hmm, now you know how I feel. Yeah. 
Do I speak the truth? See, church, too many times God's people treat God the exact same way that that friend of mine was treating me. And we get mad at our friends that use us and take advantage of us. But we don't think twice about treating God the exact same way. Well, you know, God, it's nice to have you as a friend. We'll sort of keep, we'll keep you on the, on the back burner. We'll make sure that we still know each other, that I got your phone number, because when I need something, I need you to show up and help. Amen? That's, that's the way it works for far too many of us who call ourselves Christ followers, and that's exactly what's going on in verse 6. So now look at verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and he said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our father told us about, saying, Well, didn't the Lord bring you up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Man, things were really, really bad. Now, how do I know they were really, really bad? Because, man, no self-respecting dude would ever have God show up, look him square in the eye, and, and salute him and say, mighty man of valor, without going, you right on, dude. Right on. Give me, give me some knuckles on that one, God. That's right, mighty man of valor. That's me. That's me. There is something so satisfying about that if you're a dude. God Almighty just looked you square in the eyes and called you mighty man of valor. Yes! Finally, somebody noticed. But Gideon didn't even acknowledge that God had called him a mighty man of valor. The first thing he says, well, you know what? If there really is a God, if God's with us, then why in the world did he let this happen? Now, you know what? That is a perfectly normal and honest question for a lot of people who don't know the Lord, but it's also pretty common for those of us who do. And, you know, before I say anything else, let me just sort of observe, what is it about our human nature that thinks we deserve good things, but we don't deserve bad ones? Have you ever thought about that? It's so like, how many of you have ever, and let's just be honest, because it's church, we're supposed to be honest, amen? All right, this is a place for honesty. How many of you have ever gone through something in your life and you thought, Lord, why are you letting this happen to me? Raise your hand. I'm, I'm raising mine because I've done it. All right, we do that. We're God's people. God, why are you letting this happen to me? On the other hand, I don't think I have ever once experienced something really good and say, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Think about it. How many times does something good happen and we go, God, why are you letting this good thing happen to me? This shouldn't be. No, no. Why? Because we deserve the good things, right? That's the way we operate. We deserve the good stuff, but we don't deserve the bad stuff. And I think that instead of, of getting mad or irritated when God, we think that God is letting something happen to us, 
there's a couple things we need to understand. First of all, the answer to the question was found in the first verse of the chapter. God's people did evil in his sight. You know, we're going through hard things. We're going through bad things, things we wish we weren't going through. And we ask God, why are you letting this happen? Most of the time, not all, but most of the time, it's because of a choice that we made that had nothing to do with honoring God. Somebody say amen to that. Now, one of the things that it's one of my pet peeves and, and it just, it just irks me. I know it's, it's human nature. I said at the start of the service, we're going to talk about human nature. This irks me. But in our world today, we like to talk about mistakes. Well, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. Oh, I made a mistake. I just made a mistake. No, you didn't make a mistake. You made a choice. Do you know that a mistake is two plus two equals five? That's a mistake. Right? A a mistake is putting a comma where a period is supposed to be. That's a mistake. We don't make mistakes. We make choices. But we don't want to own up to our choices. We'll say, well, that was a mistake. God, you can't hold that against me. No, you made a choice. I made a choice. I made some stupid choices along the way. And how many of you will admit this morning you've made your share of stupid choices? That's human nature. But what is not human nature that God wants, or what is human nature, but God wants to change that in us is that we quit excusing it. See, as long as we try to excuse it, then we're not willing to be confronted by our sin. We're not willing to humble ourselves, as George admitted, and acknowledge our error and confess and make it right. Because as long as it's a mistake, we're not really responsible. But if we make a choice, we're responsible. They made a choice. God allowed the consequences of their choice to put them in a bad place. So that's one thing that we need to remember. But the other thing that we need to remember is when we're in that place, instead of getting mad at God for letting this bad thing happen, instead of getting irritated with God for letting this bad thing happen, then we need to realize that in every difficult situation, there is a spiritual lesson. Now, we don't like to look for the spiritual lessons we're when, when we're in a bad place, do we? No, no, are you kidding? Not on your life. Man, we want relief. We want out of this thing. I don't want a lesson. I just want out. And we pray. We pray, God, change my circumstances. God, change this situation. God, change this. Change them. Change that. And we pray everything but change us. And that's the spiritual lesson, church. Instead of asking God to change our circumstances or change our situation, the spiritual lesson is we need to be praying that God will change us. And do you know that when we, go, when we change, when we allow God to change us, do you know that your circumstances change automatically? Because you see it in an entirely different way. But here's what's so cool about God. See, even in the middle of their terrible situation, God was already working out a way to bring them hope and restore them back to a right relationship with God. They didn't know it, but God was already working on it. He was going to raise up a leader to bring them freedom and victory. He was raising up Gideon, and Gideon didn't even know it yet. God is always working in the background. Don't ever forget that, church. Now, jump down to verse 14. 
And then the Lord turned to him, Gideon, and he said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And so he said to them, him, this is Gideon, oh my Lord, how, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I'll be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Gideon said, Lord, how can I save Israel? I am the least. Church, I think that this question is maybe one of the biggest stumbling blocks to God's people experiencing the fullness of what he wants to do in each of our lives. When God says, hey, I want you to go do X, Y, Z. I want you to do something. And the first response we've got is, how can I? I don't have this. I can't do that. I can't do the other thing. God, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And church, when the first response out of our mouth is, God, I can't, you know what we're really saying? God, I want. Do you think that God would call you to do something that he's not going to prepare the way and equip you to do? Do you really think that's how God operates? He said, have I not sent you? I'm God. I am God Almighty. I spoke the world into being. I spoke the universe into being. I created everything you see around you. Have I not sent you? This question holds us back from so many things. And here's the point that I want you to understand about this. We have to constantly remember that it is not our human strength or ability or our cunning that wins spiritual victories. It is always God. It's always God. See, when you start thinking that, that you're the answer, you've missed the question because you're not the answer. I'm not the answer. God is the answer. We are the tool that he chooses to use to accomplish his work. And can I just suggest to you this morning that whatever God decides he wants to accomplish, we're not big enough to stop him. But you sure as heck can miss out on the blessing that God has for you. And so many times we are. And, and here's why we got to get over this is because it's in those places where we realize that our weakness won't let us accomplish that, where we have to acknowledge that the only way this works is God. See, if we don't have to have God, then we can pat ourselves on the back. Well, look what I did. Look what I did. I was in a church one time where the pastor got, got fired. And, uh, and I went to see him and I walked into his office and he was madder than a wet hen. I mean, he was spitting nails. He was so ticked off. And I'll never forget this. I'd never seen, I'd never seen a man of God do this. He said, who do those people think they are? Who do they think built this church? I did, I did. I was like, man, I want to make space because I don't want to get hit by the lightning bolt that's about to come. But you know what? He ain't the only preacher that feels that way. He's not the only Sunday school class leader that feels that way. He's not the only worship leader that feels that way. 
He's not the only children's ministry director that feels that way. He's not the only men's ministry director that feels that way. He's not the only youth director that feels that way. There are people all over God's kingdom working in God's fields who think they are the reason that things are working the way they're working. And God says, you are so wrong. And that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that it's in my weakness that he is strong because we have to understand that it's all God. And when we realize it's all God, we're a whole lot more willing to step into something he's called us to because we realize, hey, he doesn't really need me, but I'm gonna jump, I'm gonna jump because it's all God. So the next time somebody says, hey, will you do this or God prompts you to do something and you're tempted to say, I can't, maybe you need to think that's exactly why you need to go. That's exactly why you need to try, because that's the place where God can use you. Now, let's look at Judges chapter 6, verse 25. Verse 25, and now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that's beside it. And I got to think to myself that Gideon is going, whoa, whoa, I, God, I don't, I don't think I heard you right or you could not have meant what you just said because you just told me to go tear down my, my dad's stuff. You just told me to go, go stand against my daddy. Uh, I think you misspoke, God. I got to think that in my, in my heart of hearts because children are told to honor their father and mother, are they not? So that is built in to the the DNA of God's people and the way that they taught, and God is looking at at Gideon and saying, hey, go tear down your father's idol worship and his altar to Baal. Like, whoa, man, God, you can ask me to do anything, but don't ask me to do that. Here's a lesson from that. God's direction will sometimes, and I I might even go often, put us in awkward and difficult situations with family and friends. See, when God starts moving in our lives and he starts asking us to do things, it's going to create some awkward situations with the people that we're closest to. Now, God was calling Gideon to rise up and deliver a physical military victory for his people. That was going to be a really cool thing. But before God would bring a military victory, Gideon was going to have to win a spiritual victory. And he was going to have to win a spiritual victory in the place where he is most vulnerable and where we are most vulnerable. And that is with our family and our friends. And here's, here's what you're going to have to confront. And here's what you're going to have to ask yourself. You're going to have to ask yourself, am I going to be obedient to God or or am I going to try to keep peace? See, because when we start to follow God, Jesus said, you might might remember this in the New Testament, Jesus said, "Uh, I I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring division. Do you you remember him saying that? I'm I'm going to set parents against children, I'm going to set brother against sister. 
I'm going to bring division. Why? Because when you start following God, when you start following Jesus, when you start leaving the world behind, there's going to be a lot of friction because Satan is not going to let that happen without raising a ruckus. And here's what most of us want. We don't want the drama, do we? Man, the last place in the world that we want drama is with our family and our friends. Man, I don't need that. And so God says, well, stand on principle. Stand on my word. Proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the word of God. And you're going, I just need to keep peace. And God says, you're going to obey me? Or you're going to keep peace? And you know why this is so important? Because private victory is what fuels public success. You want to you have some success out in the public domain? You want to have success in ministry, your area of ministry? You want to have success in your family? You want to have success in your place of work? You want to have success in whatever environment you're talking about? Your private victories is what will fuel that success. You might see people have some success in a public way for a season, for a period of time, but if there aren't private victories that are sustaining that, it won't last. And when we start compromising privately, when we stop lifting and standing on the word of God privately because we want to keep peace, we will start to pull away the foundations that support public victory. Private victory will always fuel public success. Now let's look at verses 30 and 31 in Judges chapter 6. And then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die because he's torn down the altar of Baal. And because he's cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he, I mean, he's talking about Baal. If Baal's a God, then let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. He said, you know, hey, if Baal really is a God, let Baal do his own work. Now, you know what? It is really scary to take a stand on the word of God, for the word of God, and and against the people that you know and love. And when I say take a stand, I'm not talking about beating them over the head with the Bible. I'm saying you plant your flag with where God said it's planted. You don't apologize for it. This is what God said. This is where I stand. Doesn't mean I don't love you. Doesn't mean I don't care about you. Doesn't mean I don't want a relationship with you, but I'm not compromising. This is what God says. It's scary to do that, is it not? And as soon, as soon as Gideon planted his flag and he put himself at risk and he took a huge risk, he immediately got pushback. In church, I'm telling you, if you start to stand on God's word and you start to tell the people that you know and love, the people that you work with, your circle of friends, hey, I'm not going to compromise over here. I'm not going to compromise over there. I'm not going to go along with this. I'm not going to go along with that. Not because I don't love you, but this is where I stand because this is what the word of God teaches me and I can do no other. 
When you do that, you're going to get immediate pushback. Gideon got immediate pushback. And they said, hey, bring out your son. We're killing him. He had no right to do what he did. And this is so amazing. And I think we need to take some real encouragement from this. Gideon's father started to stand up for Gideon and the action that Gideon took. And the point is that when you take a stand among family and friends, your willingness to act may be what encourages one of them or more of them to stand themselves. Not everybody is going to join you on your spiritual journey. I wish it were so. I wish they would. But Jesus said, wide is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to salvation. There's a wide path, there's a narrow path. There's a wide path, there's a narrow path. And church, not everybody that you know, not everybody that you love is going to join you on your spiritual journey. I wish it were not so, but it is. But when you will stand, when I will stand in the middle of the people that we know, in the middle of our friends, in the middle of our family, in the middle of our workplace, not everybody's going to jump on board with you, but your commitment and your courage may be the difference maker for one or two or maybe even more people. You have no way of knowing, but God does. And that's why I ask you to take that stand. Now, let's look in the next chapter, chapter 7. We'll look at verse 2, chapter 7, verse 2. Now, we get to the fun part of the story here. Um, because if you like b- fighting and battles and stuff, and this is, this is the part of the story that most of us know, this is really cool. They're getting ready to go to war. Gideon has gathered his army. He's got all these guys hanging around him. In verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. Too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, hey, my own hand has saved me. Look at me. Look what I did. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever's fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Whoa! Whoa! 22,000 said, okay, Gideon, thanks. I'm out of here. Now, you don't know this because we haven't talked about it, but the other army is over 100,000 people. They got 32 that they're starting with. Now, those are already not really good odds. I don't know if you know this, but in military terms, if you're going to fight somebody, you want a two-to-one advantage. You want a two-to-one advantage. Not only did they not have a two-to-one advantage, they were way behind. Over 100,000 down in the valley, we got 32. God said, you got too many. (laughs) I don't think your, your math is not good, God. You got too many. If you're afraid, go on down. And 22,000 quit on the spot. Church, do you know that not everybody that is with you is really with you? (laughs) That's why Facebook can be such a mess. You know why? I mean, boy, look how many friends I have on Facebook. (laughs) 
I got 500 Facebook friends. They're with you? They ain't all really with you. Or they don't, and they don't even know you. Just because they're with you, it doesn't mean they're with you. And God says, hey, if you're scared, leave. And 22,000 left at the drop of a hat. Church, this is one of the reasons why membership is so important. Because every church, this one, every other church that I've ever been in, and I've been in a bunch as we traveled around the country in the military and in business, every church, every church always has people that are on the fringe. They're here. They're during the service. You're, you look around, you see the faces, you think they're with us. They're not with us. Do you know that there were lots of people that followed Jesus around, but when it got hard, they quit? Do you know that? And when you start looking at people and you're, you're basing your, your courage and your faith on how many people are in the circle that you're standing in, you're basing your courage and your faith on the wrong count. You know what the count needs to be? One. That's God. Are you on God's side? Are you standing on solid ground? Has he called you to something? That's the count that you need to be able to make. Just because they're with you doesn't mean that they're with you. And membership is so important in a church. So if you're not a member, come to the membership class. Come to find out what that means. Come to find out what that involves. That's two weeks from now. Get signed up for that. Now let's look down in verse 7. And the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. Now, wait a minute. God, you just took us down from 32,000 to 10, and now you're cutting us from 10,000 to 300? What? What? God, did you go blind? Now... You think that didn't go through Gideon's mind? You better believe it did. Because if you were standing there and I was standing there and God said, okay, we're down to 300, this is a, this is a winning team. <laughs> what? I don't think so. Church, what do you think the human nature is, the natural inclination of the 300 people that were left standing there when the rest of them left, we've gone from 32,000 to 300 and they watched that last 10,000 just walk off. What do you think the natural inclination of those 300 is to do? Run. I'm leaving too. This is not what I signed up for. This is not what I thought it was going to be. This does not look good. Gideon, good luck. I'll see you later. That's only normal. That's only natural. And church, that is why you cannot, you cannot place your faith and your trust in God in a pastor. I don't know if you've noticed, but over the last couple of years, we have had a lot of very high profile pastors that have bit the dust. I shared with you just the other week about one high profile pastor that just renounced and abandoned his faith. 
If you've put and staked your faith in God on that guy, you've just shipwrecked your faith. You can't place your faith in, and, and determine your faith in God based on a worship leader. I shared with Carlin just this week, there's a worship leader that writes songs for Hillsong. We do a lot of their songs. He just renounced his faith this last week. Guy was writing songs for Jesus. Just renounced his faith. If you have placed and based your faith in God on the leadership of that guy, you have just shipwrecked your faith. When you place your faith in a person instead of the God who gives the faith in the first place, you are in for trouble because only God is faithful to the end. Instead of putting your faith in a person, you need to place your faith in the author and the finisher of our faith, and that is God Almighty. Amen. When you do, you will never be blindsided by people who get up and leave. Because it doesn't matter how many people walk out the door. What matters is the one who stayed. If God stayed, I'd rather be here than with the 10,000 that are out there. Amen? Don't follow the crowd. Don't follow a person. Follow the God. That's why in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, I want to share this verse with you. He answered and he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I want you all to read that second part with me. Ready? Let's read this together. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Read that one more time. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not in the numbers, church. It's not in the numbers. It's in the God of the numbers. Judges chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. And it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I've delivered it into your hand. Delivered it into your hand. Now, remember, Gideon's got 300 people. They got over 100,000. Gideon's got to be thinking, piece of cake, man, right? Piece of cake. Absolutely, God. I mean, I've run the numbers, Lord. It's only 333 to 1. All we have to do is each one of us just needs to take out 333 people apiece, and we got this. Sweet. I'm pretty sure that Gideon was doing the math, but he wasn't thinking that. And so here's what God says in verse 10. But if you're afraid to go down, and I'm just going to be honest, I would be. I would be. If you're afraid to go down, go down the camp with Pure, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. And he went down with Pure, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp, and they heard, God's got this. And you know what I love about that is that God understands our weaknesses and our fears. Now, it, it would be great if the word of God were enough, and it should be enough. But God knows us. He knows our nature. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our fears. And when he calls us, he wants to assure us, I've got this. And he said, Gideon, I know it doesn't look good. It doesn't look reasonable. But I want you to go down, listen to what they're saying, and you're going to realize, I got this. And so that's exactly what he did. He went down. 
He heard what they were saying, and he knew God's going to win this. Now let's look, look at verse 22. And when the 300, that's all he had left, when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled. This is so cool, right? They blew trumpets on the top of the hill, just 300 guys, that's all they did. They broke pots, showed lamps, blew trumpets. 100,000 plus guys down there in the valley, and the Bible tells us they all jumped out of their tent, they grabbed their sword, and they started fighting each other. Like, this is a great time for a box of popcorn. If I'm getting in those 300 guys, man, it's like, wow, this is so, this is really entertaining. And way cool. Way to go, God. Man, did you see that when that was awesome? Way to go, God. <laughs> Do you not think that they were entertained? I mean, just a little bit. There's just 300 of those guys. And all of those guys down there are wiping each other out. And they haven't done one blasted thing. You know what I get out of that? In the initial, in the initial victory, they didn't have to do anything. How much, how much stress and anxiety would we relieve ourselves of if we just decided to let God fight our battles for us? <laughs> how cool would it be instead of us trying to go down and fight against odds that we can't overcome to just sit back and say, hey, God, let me watch you deal with this because this is going to be cool. How many of you believe that God's got this? <laughs> Amen then why don't we just stop stressing? Why don't we stop being anxious about all this stuff and just say, hey, God, you got it. I'm going to watch. Look in verse 10, Judges chapter 8. And now Ziba and Zalumna were at Karkor, and their armies with them, about 15,000, all who were left of all the army of the people of the east, for 120,000 men who drew the swords and fought. 120,000 men killed each other. They killed themselves, 120,000, but they still got 15,000 left. And so they, they left, they ran away. And Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell in tents on the east of Naba and Jogbagaba. And uh, I know that's not right, but it's just easier to say. <laughs> and he attacked the army while the camp felt secure. And when Zeba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued them and he took the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and routed the whole army. Church, this is where we're going to finish. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. Even though the initial victory was all God, and it was all God, God had it all. Even though the initial victory was all God, God took his 300 men and he continued to chase the ones who were left. 15,000. Now, again, the math does not work, church. How many does Gideon have? What's the number? He got 300. How many is he chasing? 15,000. Now, it's better than 333 to one, but now it's 50 to one. Those are still not good odds. And I don't know how 300 people capture or defeat 15,000, but they did. And you know why? You know why Gideon pursued them? Because the initial victory was God's. God said, I'll carry the heavy stuff. I'll do the heavy lifting. But there's always some mop-up stuff that we have to do in our own lives in order to secure victory. And Gideon said, God, I know you did the big work, 
But I, because I saw you do the big work, I'm going to trust you now in the mop-up work. I'm going to get this done. He would not have had the faith to do that before, but now he did, and he went to do it. And here's the point, y'all. God doesn't need numbers on our side to win. He just needs our trust and our faithful action. He doesn't need the numbers. He needs you and he needs me to be faithful to do what he said to do and act on it. Now here's my question as we finish this morning. Where are you not trusting God because the numbers don't work? See, most of us in here this morning, we probably got somewhere we're not trusting God because the numbers just don't add up. Is it, is it your finances? This is one of the easiest places for us to not trust God because the numbers, because it's a numbers thing, right? You look at what comes in in your paycheck, you look at what your bills are, and you go, God, I can't tithe to you. I can't do what Pastor George was talking about. I can't pull out my wallet and give 10%. I can't sacrifice like that. Because the numbers don't add up. You know why the numbers don't add up? Because you're not trusting God. Over and over again in my life, when I have trusted God with my finances, He miraculously makes the rest of it work. And in those seasons of my life that I didn't trust God, you know what? I never kept any of that money that should have gone to God in the first place. It always went somewhere else. I didn't get to keep it. I didn't even get to spend it in a way that I wanted to spend it. The numbers don't add up for you because you're not trusting God. When you trust God with your finances, the numbers will work. Are you not trusting God where the numbers don't add up in a ministry area? So I don't have enough training. I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough this. I don't have enough that. I don't have enough support. Has God been calling you like he called Gideon to step into an area of ministry to serve him? And you going, Lord, no, I can't, God, I can't because the numbers don't add up. Are you not trusting God in a place where you need to take a stand for God? Maybe in the middle of your family or your friends or your place of work? Because maybe there's so many in your family or your group of friends or your place of work that they just don't trust God. They don't believe what you believe. And it's just a little too risky for you to step out and say, I stand on the word of God. Is that somewhere where you're not trusting God this morning because the numbers don't add up? What about are you not trusting God in a place where you think if you continue to do X, Y, Z, it helps you get ahead because those numbers work. And in order to do that, you're sacrificing God as a priority. You go, well, I got to do this because I've got to accomplish this somewhere down the road. And this is the only way that I can do that is if I do this. And so that means that I got to set God aside. I don't make God a priority because I got to get that done. And God understands that. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He says, be obedient to me. Because your private victory is what will fuel your public success. Where do you need to trust God this morning where the numbers aren't adding up? Father, 
as we finish the message this morning and we open up the altars for people to respond. God, we confess fear. We're human people. We ask, why are you letting this happen? Lord, I can't make that work. I can't do this. I can't do that. But Lord, what you call us to is to be obedient, to follow you, to trust you. And as we do, God, you make it work. So God, help us to lay down at the altar this morning anything, anything that is keeping us from trusting you fully. In Jesus' name.